I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Curious Conversations with Tully and Sarah. We sit down and chat with business owners, entrepreneurs, and some of the best conversation starters. This is a podcast about real life lessons and people doing cool shit. Hi guys, happy Wednesday. Welcome to another episode of Curious Conversations. We're back. We're actually recording in um, my bedroom on my bed and... I, I said this is comfortable. We should be recording from the bed more often. It is really comfortable, but it's really annoying because someone next door is banging and doing some trade work. So sorry about that. But how has this week gone for you? This week, this year, it's all flown to be honest. Yeah, it has. I feel like this week's been really good. I got really, really sick last week. You were crook as. With the stomach flu. I to be completely honest with you, I would much rather have COVID. It was horrendous. It was. Have you had barley belly before? Oh, you had a little a touch belly. of it. Well, I've had barley belly a few times when I used to live in Bali, and it honestly felt like barley belly. I, I couldn't get out of bed. What? Do, I think what? Like you're shitting yourself? No, I actually didn't shit. It was just throwing up and just the shivering and the sweating mm. and like all those symptoms and like a headache. But um, the doctor said it's going around. So make sure you wash your hands. I don't know where I got it from, but make sure you wash your hands and just be really careful because it's horrendous. It literally took me out for one week. But apparently it's going around Australia too. Like Yes. Yeah. So our friend in Sydney said it's going around Sydney. I went to the Gold Coast on the weekend and my girlfriend's little boy had it and then her husband had it. So if you do get it, advise you to call the doctor ASAP and get like an anti-nausea tablet because mm. what was shit about mine was I had the worst dehydration because every time I would drink, I would throw up and it was just like constant. So I had a really hectic headache, but I'm fully recovered. And I felt so bad and so lazy last week because I couldn't do anything. So um, one of the, not the funniest, but maybe funniest things for last week is not many people might not know this about Tala, but she, um, a bit of a hypochondriac sometimes, aren't I you? I wouldn't say I'm a hypochondriac. I don't think I'm a, I'm a drama queen. That, I'm not a hypochondriac. Like I like I didn't go to the hospital. Like everyone was messaging me, go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. But I'm a, I am don't think I'm a hypochondriac. I think I'm a drama queen. What's the difference? Well, I think like hypochondriacs are like always going to the doctor, like always. like. How many something. times did you go to the, ask the doctor last week? Only once. I physically went to the doctor once and then I called the doctor because everyone, because you, mum and my sister were harping on about going to the doctor. I was fine. I was like, it's going to pass, it's going to pass. But you all were telling me to go to the hospital. No, I'm it, like, it was the third time when you'd been to the doctor's oh, no, 24 hours before. Because I thought I had a brain tumour. <laughs> so I'm not a hypochondriac. I was just <laughs> dramatic. No, but that was also because these headaches, I've never, I never get headaches. Mm. And they were horrendous. Like, I could, the only reason I freaked out is because I was drinking so much water at that stage and I'd stopped throwing up. But the headaches were, I, I, like I tell you, I've never had headaches like this, like at the front of my head and the back of my head. Wow. So I couldn't even lift myself out of bed. I'm like, this is not normal. Mm. Um, that's the only reason why I went. But I would say I'm dramatic. My sister's a hypochondriac. <laughs> I'm dramatic. <laughs> Good combo in the fam. Yeah, exactly. Um, but apart from you being sick the last week, 
Um, a lot of people loved the Dave episode. Can yeah, I've listened to it twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, I had a lot of time last week and I couldn't physically watch a TV because it was giving me a headache. So I listened to the podcast two times and I saw some people comment too. They were like, oh, we're going to go there. I'm like, good luck because we literally like well, we one jumped of, the fence. <laughs> one of my favourite things to ask people since recording that episode is the question, have you like have you ever seen a ghost? Have you ever experienced yeah. a ghost? And the amount of people that say yes has actually surprised me. Even my dad, he was like, oh, yeah, when I was younger. I was like, what? Why haven't you ever told me that? Yeah, that's wild. I don't know if you saw I reposted something, but one girl commented yes. back and said her husband used tradie. to be a tradie and yeah. he was an electrician. Yep. And what used to happen is they would go in and all the lights would come on and off and on and off and they refused to work there. But I think that was when it was like a fully standing building. But she said that the building hadn't had power for 10 years. Exactly. And it kept going. That's, That's wild. When she, I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that is so scary. I wouldn't work there either. Yeah. But enough about last week's episode. It was a really great episode. If you haven't listened to it, definitely go back into the archives and listen to it because it was great. But this week we had the beautiful Chantal Otten, who is a psychosexologist yes. on the podcast. And how, this is just like a general chit chat, how do you go about talking about sex usually? I'm fine if it's around friends. Yeah. I just find anything else like not awkward. I feel like as I've gotten older, it's easier. Yeah. And also, I think I mentioned this in the podcast, ever since listening to Call Her Daddy, I feel way more comfortable talking about mm. things. If you don't listen to Call Her Daddy, it's like the number one podcast in the world. Yeah. Um, Alex Cooper is amazing. I feel like that's given me confidence, but I did, I was nervous to record this podcast and got stuck a few th- times. Yeah. We, we definitely fumbled on our yeah, words. Yeah, but I don't know why. I, it's just not like. I'm not awkward, but it, it, I don't know. I don't know either because, like you say at the start, throw me under the bus. My that my family's so open about sex, mm. and we always talk about it and like I like I talk about it, but I don't so know. I'm even embarrassed now. My dad's next door, and you even say it really loud. I'm like, oh, sure. Sorry, Rod. Sex. <laughs> oh my god, stop. Okay, so we had her on, and we spoke a lot about. Um, Sarah did do a little call out on Instagram, asking people to cop, um, you know, mm-hmm. ask questions and stuff like that. But we talk about everything, and what I love about Chantal is she is really. I mean, as you can tell from our conversation at the start, we were even awkward. But what I love about Chantal is it's it was very bringing... overwhelming. Like we we walked in and she had like this room full of toys before we started. Yeah, yeah, before we started recording, and I, I was overstimulated. I was like, "Oh, what's that? What's this? What's this yeah. used for?" So yeah, exactly. So what I was actually saying is that I feel like she's kind of getting rid of the taboo of like talking about yeah. it and especially women because I feel like it's really empowering mm. and that's what I felt when I left the conversation. I was like, oh, I feel really empowered and I feel like um, I love how she's doing that as well, which is great. I think I feel like even since recording it, we've spoken about sex a lot more with our friends and I think it is becoming more normalised, which is great. Mm. Yeah, but also um, obviously – there's a lot of um, people that may be listening or there's a lot of people that have had trauma around this subject as well. So yeah. sex isn't um, a pleasurable thing for everyone. No, so it's also like just a trigger warning for anyone who um, may have had any experiences in the past. So trigger warning, it's very open and raw. So, But I think we should get straight into the episode because it's a really great episode and it's really informative as well. Enjoy, guys. And don't forget to like, subscribe. Also, before we end, also, if you like our podcast, also give us a rating as well because it helps us and we can provide more episodes for you guys. So five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to like, subscribe and 
Share with all your friends. Have a beautiful Wednesday. Love you. Bye. Chantelle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. We've wanted you for a while and I feel like it's a topic that Sarah and I probably shy away from a little bit in a way. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Why? So I'm actually nervous. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm nervous. I, I don't know if my mum and dad should listen to this <laughs> podcast episode, to be honest. My mum and dad don't even listen to the podcast, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> anyway, introduce yourself. What do you do? Uh, so I'm a sexologist, which means that, I mean, I provide therapy, like sex therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I help people, individuals, couples uh, with sex questions, sex problems, mm-hmm. how to spice up their sex life. Uh, I run a large clinic in Melbourne and internationally where I have a lot of sexologists work for me and pelvic health physios. Uh, and then I'm the author of a book called The Sex Ed You Never Had. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. You released that last year. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so amazing. I was listening to a podcast about you doing some research and I loved how you said you're like a sex detective. Mm. I loved that. It was cool. Yeah, because I guess like a lot of the time, when people come with a question about their sexuality, they don't know where it's coming from. So I have to ask a lot of questions like a detective to figure out what's happening in their life, their history, you know, their, their medical history, their psyche, and, and really figure out all the pieces of the puzzle mm-hmm. that's, you know, got them to this point. I'm sitting here still a little bit reserved. Like <laughs> Tully said at the start, like we, we kind of shy away from the topic of sex, but mm. I don't know why. I come from a very open family. You do. Yeah. <laughs> a very, very mm. open family. But I think maybe for me I get the energy of friends that it's not an open topic. Like I know Tully's a lot more reserved about talking about sex, so I don't really talk about sex with Tully. Mm. Mm. I feel like I probably not talking on behalf of just us. I feel like a lot of females and that's why we wanted to have you on. Mm. Um, so I, before we dive deep into all of that stuff, I just want to know how did you get into sexology, um, to a psychosexologist? Yeah, so how did I get into it? Mm. I mean, it really wasn't a job that I knew about yeah. when I finished high <laughs> school. Um, I think, so I studied psych as my undergrad and I didn't want to be a generalized psychologist just because I'm a little bit impatient and, you know, I, I don't think that that's a good skill set for when you're working with people long term. Um, but in saying that, as a sex therapist, I work with people long term and I am very patient with them. So I think just at the time, maybe it wasn't the general area that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't able to feel confident in just doing generalized psychology. So I kind of went in a different direction and, and did organizational psychology. But my mum sent me a TED talk by Esther Perel. Have you heard yeah, of her? I, one of my girlfriends, Lauren, here by Lauren, mm-hmm. she sent me, she was having some relationship problems and mm-hmm. sent me her and I've listened to some of her podcasts before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's got such a beautiful voice. She does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But she's very articulate and she she really changed the way that I viewed, well, she didn't change it. She opened my eyes that there were other people that viewed topics that were considered taboo as not taboo, like infidelity, like desire in long-term relationships. And I thought, well, I want to do sex therapy. I want to do it for people of my generation. I want to do it for my parents. And I want it to be, you know, a really safe, warm, open space. So I went and met with a few sex therapists and I found out that there was a science med degree in Sydney um, where you can specialise in sexual medicine. So I did that. 
and then I also did sexology in Holland because I lived in Amsterdam for a couple of years. And they have great sexologists there. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's quite a, a much more liberating country than mm. Australia. Yeah, mm. it's so true. What is sex medicine? Sexual medicine? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, um, if you have a, a, like a medical problem to do with sexuality, mm-hmm. then you need to know how it's all related, right? Ah. So what what um, medications are impacting on like desire, for example, or lubrication. Um, it's like breast cancer that affects sexuality. It's painful mm-hmm. sex. These are, it's half of it's medical, half of it's psychological, and then, well, not half, it's probably a third medical, a third psychological, and a third history, cultural uh, cultural kind of background and, and relationships, right? So would that be someone that is like on antidepressants? Hmm. Is that, that could like, be so, an okay. example. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. How do we, you were just saying about psychological, how do we start to think of sex differently and mm. how should we be thinking of sex? Well, I guess it depends. How do you think of sex now? What does sex mean to you? (laughs) She's gone right. (laughs) Nah. Um, I think it's pleasurable. Like I really like sex. Mm -hmm. Great. What about you? I feel like for me it's probably more of a connection thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean sex means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we can really measure. But I think sex is an umbrella term, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean just one thing. I think we've been taught that it means penis in vagina sex, yeah. but that rules out a huge part of the LGBTQIA plus community, mm-hmm. people with different abilities and some people with different sexual concerns like erectile dysfunction or um, painful sex. So we need to look at sex uh, from an umbrella way and think about it in a way that sex can mean whatever we want it to mean. Sex mm-hmm. can be a head scratchy. Sex yeah. can be a foot massage or sex can just, you know, it can be oral sex or using a vibrator. It really depends on what you want to make it. Yeah. Okay. I'm just sitting here trying to think. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I'm just lost in thought thinking of sex and I was thinking about all the conversations I've had over the last week and a lot of it comes back to a lot of my friends are insecure in the bedroom and that really yeah a, a body confident not just body confidence mm. but the i heard you speak about performative sex and that's what we were were grown up with like porn and how we think we should act during sex yeah. how do we switch that around how do we communicate with our partner what we actually want what Without compared them. to what we think they want mm. How do we switch it around? Well, first of all, expand your definition of sex. Yes. Move away from performative and look at pleasurable sex mm-hmm. instead. So what actually brings you pleasure in the bedroom? And then it's not really about starting with your partner. It's about starting with you. Yeah. You know, you want exactly. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. need, if you ha- you're your own best sexual partner, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to find pleasure in your own body, it is very hard to teach someone else. So if it comes to self-esteem issues, if it's about body, I think take some steps, little steps. They don't have to be extreme, but, you know, walking around nude, sleeping nude, um, you know, taking photos of yourself, admiring yourself in the mirror, looking at different parts that you do like and not focusing on what you don't like. Mm. Um, Talking more openly about sexuality is also a really great step because it normalizes sexuality. And then when it comes to you and your partner, I think it's about having an open conversation and hopefully they have also that 
level of openness as well to mm. to want to engage with you in a more intimate space and in an understanding space. Yeah. But list down all the things that you want to try, all the things that are no-goes. Yeah. Two questions out of that for me. The first one is what we, Tully and I have quite a lot of prudish friends, so when we do talk mm. about like masturbation and things like that, mm. they say they've never done it. Mm-hmm. So or how they get awkward? Yeah, yeah, or they do get awkward. So how do we change? Like, I don't want to force them to masturbate, but I'm like, oh, like, have you never? Like, why don't you? And it's just mm. the stigma around it that it's like, oh, it's a dirty thing. I think it's probably more people our age, though. I feel like younger, the younger generation probably aren't so prude. Would you, would you agree? Mm, no, yeah. I, and I don't like the word prude because it's, you know, yeah, we don't know. it's not very yeah. nice, you yeah, know, for yeah. someone to be called a prude. I think it's it's just that they were never taught. No one gives us a handbook on, uh, you know, how we should experience love, how we should experience sex mm. or self-pleasure. If they feel like it's dirty, that means that there are things to unravel there. And if they are our age, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 31, if I'm coming in as a patient at 31 saying, I feel like sex is dirty and bad, that's 31 years that I have to unravel for that patient. And it's about sex education and reframing what sex means to them. So would that be like a deeper, deeper trauma or something inside them or? It doesn't have to be trauma. It's just that they were taught that sex was not not good for them or that they had to um, wait for sex, you know, after marriage or mm. that sex was sinful. It depends, you know, are, have they been religious? What were mm. their parents like? You know, if you're being taught a certain thing, then of course you're going to believe them because you usually trust in the yeah. the adults who are teaching you those things. Yeah. But it does cause difficulty and, yeah, it can cause trauma as well, especially if you feel like, Maybe you're sinning or you're doing the wrong mm-hmm. thing or touching yourself is is wrong. Or they used to say like, I think like, I don't know, I, there used to be like a saying that your hands would like fall off or something oh, if really? you were wow. masturbating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's been so many things taught in the past that are negative. It doesn't surprise me that people shy mm-hmm. away from it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's about picking your audience. If your friends don't want to mm-hmm. learn about it or talk about it or if they haven't tried self-pleasure, you know, you have to come at it from like an encouraging way, not a why don't you do it. It's Mm. like, oh, I think it would be nice for you to try it. I think you'd actually like it because it's not bad for you, Mm. you know. Actually, it's really good for you, self-pleasure. And uh, I think you'd learn a little bit more about what you want in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Going to self-pleasure and I want to talk more about the females in the sex with orgasms. Like so that was another thing that was coming up a lot. Like a lot of people were like, I can't orgasm, I can't orgasm when I'm with my partner. And I think I heard a statistic you said 70, 77% of females can't orgasm in penetration. Was that right? Mm-hmm. So 70%. How, 70%. How important is it for a female to orgasm or is that a major problem that you see women coming in about? Yeah, so for vulva owners, I mean um, orgasm doesn't mean – Uh, successful sex Mm -hmm. and it also isn't um, an indication of pleasurable sex Mm -hmm. or you know uh, a a great time in the bedroom you can have a great time in the bedroom without an orgasm that's fine but I think when it comes to orgasm um, there's just a lack of knowledge around how to have it what means you know what a successful orgasm means as well because I have patients coming in who say 
I've never orgasmed. I can't do it. And I go, well, can you orgasm if you touch yourself? Yeah, but I can't do it with a partner. Mm. So it's just that we think that orgasm means penetrative orgasms. Yeah, yeah. it's true. But the clitoris orgasm Mm. is like the most successful um, way to achieve an orgasm and the clitoris has literally thousands of nerve endings that are designed purely for pleasure. Yeah. So again, it's about questioning and reframing and giving sex education. Um, but, you know, there will be some people around 12% that just cannot orgasm and it's very difficult. Yeah. I always encourage those that are having difficulty um, when they're in a partnered situation to use their fingers on their clitoris mm-hmm. at the same time or use a vibrator, invest in a good vibrator, maybe like a womanizer or a bullet, something that can reach the clitoris so you can control your own pleasure while having penetrative mm-hmm. sex if you are in a cis-hetero relationship. Yeah. When you say that, my head goes to the male. How do you have that conversation with the male that you want to bring in a toy or help help the orgasm play along with yourself yeah like mm. you know because for me personally i'd be like oh i don't want to down their masculine masculine oh, I can't say these words. Masculinity. masculinity how do you have that conversation i think that you need to change your way of thinking okay. first because if you're thinking i'm going to demasculate mm-hmm. them i mean that's in a misogyny within yeah. yourself yeah. right that's what you've been taught mm-hmm. But if you come in and go, wow, this is going to bring me pleasure and we are going to add some variety and have more fun in the bedroom, that's a really positive way to look at these things, right? Um, And it's not, you know, I hear this a lot because that's what we've been taught. It was like a scare tactic in the past. It's not anyone's fault, Mm -hmm. but you have to change yourself first Mm -hmm. and then they will hopefully follow. You can't force anyone else to change. So you have to build up your confidence within yourself before going into the bedroom with mm. someone else. Well, you're yeah. deserving of pleasure, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, if a vibrator gets you off but you say, oh, I don't want to bring it in because my partner might think that I'm trying mm. to replace them, the vibrator is not going to hug you and kiss you at night. The vibrator is <laughs> not hugging you, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> the vibrator is there to add pleasure yeah. to your erotic experiences mm-hmm. and you have to say to yourself, I'm deserving of that pleasure. Yeah. Yeah? So when you come to your partner and go, I I really want to bring in this vibrator. It makes me feel really good and um, I want you to use it on me or I'm going to use it on my clitoris while you're, you know, behind me or something like Mm -hmm. that. They might go, oh, but you go, you have to just be like, it's just adding. Like Mm. this is a friend of yours, right? The vibrator is your friend and the vibrator is going to make me want sex more as well. Yeah, true. What do you do if your partner has the opposite reaction to bringing toys into the bedroom? And I only ask this because a friend was saying this on the weekend that her husband is like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's common. It's Mm. not, you know, it's very common. Um, And I think that, again, comes down to what are they afraid of? Mm. You know, what's the fear there? What's the blockage? And if they can't express that, then then that's, you know, it's going to be challenging to work through it because, if your partner is saying, I don't want you to use this, you have to go, okay, how come? Like what, what's the fear mm-hmm. here? Um, I really do want to use it. It's going to, you know, make this experience a lot more fun. Why didn't I use it on you first? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see what it feels like and see if it adds anything to your sexual experience. Like um, maybe if you're giving them a blowjob, you can use the vibrator underneath their penis at the same mm-hmm. time. Or, you know, you can try it on their neck or on their nipples. Um, there are so many different ways to use vibrators that are not just 
getting you off, but that are adding different sensations in the bedroom. Yeah. Hmm. A few tips there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wanted to ask, this is going to relationships too. Um, what if your partner has a different way of sexual experiences and you maybe you don't enjoy it and stuff? Is that coming down again to communication and having the discussion of, let's just say anal? Like, oh. yeah, what if, like, your partner is persistent in doing anal and you are, like... Mm. Adamant on no. Yeah, adamant on no, but you also kind of want to fulfil their needs and stuff like that. How do you mm. get around that? You, you don't have to have anal. Yeah. You don't want to have anal. <laughs> I lost my training. <laughs> oh, Sarah lost her training. You know what? Like, no, I wasn't. It's just very common. Take it off the table. It's a no. It can be a no for now if you're willing to say we can build up to that if mm. you want babe but you pushing me to have it is yeah. not going to get it's not going to make me want to have it more right yeah. you encouraging me and being kind and um being considerate about my needs as well and my you know hesitations yeah. and boundaries is going to make me want to warm to you and want to you know um maybe trial or or play in the anal Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. but if I'm being pushed I'm just gonna say no and I'm taking it off the table and the conversation's done you have to respect boundaries because at the end of the day if someone's pushing you to have you know anal sex and it becomes so persistent that's coercive you know and we we are learning a lot about consent at the Mm -hmm. moment uh it's non-consensual um so I think that what you can do, though, to move around this because it's not just so black and white mm. and I hear that some people do want to try it maybe at some stage, you have to write a list of things and that can be, I like thinking about it like a traffic lights, green light, these are all the things that I'm willing to do, mm-hmm. I'm open to doing, you write your list. Amber light, these are all maybes, maybe if we learn to trust each other and warm up to each other, we could do this red light these are a no I don't want to do these Mm. things and I I don't want you to push me for these things right and I think um you know I think that with things like anal they are so invasive to have something go inside your body you could always turn it around be like well why don't we try it on you first and then we'll see how we go Yeah, so I think it is really about going, well, what can we do in this area that's not going to make me feel compromised? And maybe that's, you know, getting a vibrator and going around the anus. Maybe um, that's having a finger going Mm. in first or maybe it's going, okay, well, you can go in, but I don't want you thrusting at all. I'm just happy for you to sit inside there for a minute so Mm -hmm. I can get used to it. And if I say no you're out of there straight away, right? Yeah. It takes preparation and planning and communication. Yeah. I have a question about the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. How important is that in sex, in intercourse specifically? Mm. The pelvic floor is so important yeah. because it's like a hammock, right? It's like a sling. It's holding um, all your insides in the back door and front door area. So, you know, your rectum, um, your bladder, your bowels, it's holding it all up. Shit, I never thought of it like mm. that. Yeah, yeah. you've got to look at it like, yeah. like this, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. If you've got it dropping um, in either way, then you might have a prolapse yeah. in the back door or front door. If you've got it too tight, you're going to be holding it up. So you might be 
might have difficulties with um, constipation. You might have difficulties with painful sex as well. Uh So difficulty putting a finger, a tampon, a penis inside the vagina or having deep pain up kind of like period pain but sharper. Uh Um, And it also affects the nerve endings on the vulva. So the vulva is all of the genital skin that's touching your underwear, right? It's yeah. that bit between your legs and mm-hmm. your vaginal opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're having pain with sex, you're not going to want to have sex, right? Yeah. It's going to be yeah, painful. Painful. Yeah. And a lot of people force themselves to just go through it. But um, I think, you know, knowing that there is help out there, it's the number one thing that we specialise in in so our clinic. we often get taught how to tighten our pelvic floor, mm. like pelvic floor exercises. What's the opposite? Like how would you treat that? You know how you said that we can be mm-hmm. super tight. Mm. How do you treat something like that? Well, we shouldn't be tightening our pelvic floors. This is oh, like a, no, no, because if you've got a healthy pelvic floor and you're tightening it, then you might end up with a sexual pain condition. Oh. So I have many friends who have thought, I bet it, I have to be doing Kegels because yeah. that's going to yeah, be tight. Yeah. No, we want wow. to make sure that your pelvic floor is in a healthy place. The only reason why you would be doing things like Kegels or down training, which mm-hmm. is the opposite, that's relaxing the pelvic floor, would be if your pelvic floor physio told you to do that. Okay. If you're not seeing a pelvic floor physio, if you have no bladder bowel issues or, and no painful sex, then don't, don't be doing Kegels. I didn't know that. Yeah. You just get taught as a female to do your Kegels. Mm. Oh, I didn't know either. My sister-in-law asked me to ask about pelvic floor yeah. last night. and, and I was She's like, had three babies. She's had three babies. Yeah. So mm. I think that's why maybe she asked, but I didn't realise how important it was in the whole pleasure experience of yeah. sex. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, she should, she should go see. I mean, if you're having a baby, do pelvic floor physio before you have the baby because it can help with the birthing okay. process mm-hmm. um, and it can help minimise things like tearing or, you know, um, uh, prolapse as well but if you've had a couple of babies go see a pelvic floor physio Mm -hmm. like my three physios who work for me all specialize in pre and postnatal care and sexual pain and bladder and bowel issues because they're all interconnected and we're all probably going to have a problem at some point right I I was just gonna say you mentioned before that um, sex can be unpleasurable especially with pelvic floor should all sex be pleasurable yeah, you would hope yeah. so. No, yeah. yeah, you would hope so. So if people aren't experiencing pleasurable sex, what's the first thing they do? Go see Chantel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mo- uh, most of the time they go to a doctor and it's hard because in the medical um, system in Australia they don't really have sexual medicine training. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they get a one-hour lecture on sexual concerns. Oh, wow. So they will usually refer out to, yeah, hopefully a sexologist or a pelvic floor physio if it is to do with that pelvic floor area. But there's a lot of people who are out there that go without help and that are not having pleasurable sex. And it isn't just about pain. It's about um, it's about activities. It's about variety. It's about connection, communication. A lot of people think they should just be having sex because they should be having sex, yeah. right? And this is a question for all the guys out there, they have some kind of pelvic floor thing Mm. happening, don't they? Mm -hmm. And what happens with that? Well, for example, erectile, um, you know, your erections, Mm -hmm. that's to do with the pelvic floor as well. Um, There's also like bowel issues, so it might be tight at the back door or premature ejaculation, for example, can uh, be related to the pelvic floor too because a lot of the time those with premature ejaculation have a quite a tight pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
they're pushing and then they ejaculate yeah yeah right yeah, yeah. so for from our perspective we need to teach them how to down train relax the pelvic floor but also connect their mind to um, what we call the point of no return so um, it's when they feel like okay I'm gonna orgasm I'm gonna ejaculate now ah I can't control it I've gone over the point mm. of no return my job is to help them figure out where is that point of no return and how can how we can lead towards it without stepping over it and coming before you actually want to come. Can I ask the ratio of male and females that come and see you, what mm. would that be? Oh, it's it's almost 50-50 really. Yeah. yeah. Or oh, like amazing. maybe 40% penis owners, maybe 60% vulva owners. It really uh-huh. depends on on the period of time. Okay. But it's pretty consistent flow of, of all genders. Yeah, okay. Do you guys um, feel like that they have a lot of pressure when it comes in the bedroom? Because we think sex isn't great unless the guy comes, really. Yeah, I definitely think that there's a lot of pressure for them. And and that's when things like performance anxiety yeah. can come mm, into play. Yeah. yeah, where they get anxious about their performance, their ability to please, mm-hmm. you know, their ability to get a hard erection or to come. But, you know, I always just, you know, even with, like with erections, right, you don't have to have a hard erection to have a good time in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. You can play with a soft penis and it can still orgasm mm-hmm. and ejaculate with a soft penis. Wow. I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know that either. could do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you can do that, that don't involve the penis even being yeah. touched, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I want to move away now to a bit more of you mm-hmm. um and you've obviously created an amazing brand as yourself and a business now you're on instagram you've got a book you do a lot of media things and stuff like that was that always something that you wanted to do or did you fall into that the media which part just like because you yourself you're like a brand now mm. and i know you've like helped patients and stuff like that so i feel like when i look at you there's like two pillars yeah there's like you as a you know at your clinic and stuff like that and then there's you as a brand and a business which I think is amazing because you're empowering women what how did you just fall into that was that something in your vision that you kind of wanted to focus Mm. on like the book and all that kind of stuff oh you know what I just didn't really know I kind of just started working yeah Yeah. you know there wasn't really any job opportunities as a sexologist when you came out of uni so I had to start my own practice Mm -hmm. Did I realize that I'd have over 20 staff? No, I had no idea. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And I think that from an immediate perspective, I just wanted to put more sex education out into the world and mm-hmm. empower everyone, not just femmes, everyone mm-hmm. to be able to talk a lot more openly about sexuality. Has, has it gone beyond my wildest dreams? Absolutely. I had no idea mm-hmm. that sexual wellness would have progressed so much in the past few years and that people would be really interested in what I had to say and what other amazing sex experts have to Mm. say as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see you as the face of like sex education in Australia. Do you feel any kind of pressure behind that title? It's very nice of you. (laughs) No, but I really, like you're probably, for me, well, I Because of the social media presence. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You're the only person I know talking about sex. Yeah. Okay, um... Uh, do I feel pressure? I feel pressure to make sure that I have enough patients coming to my clinic because yeah. I hold the responsibility of my staff's income. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel sometimes pressure to be creative or mm-hmm. to always be on because mm, I've been yeah. doing this for, you know, since 2017, I think it was when I started my clinic 
the February 2017. So since then I've just been working nonstop and, mm-hmm. you know, I really only took a proper vacation a couple of weeks ago when I went to see my family. Yeah. That's the first time that I really haven't focused on sexology. Yeah. Um, so I think I feel pressure sometimes to keep it like fun and relevant, mm. but I don't I don't feel pressured to educate everyone because I'm not everyone's cup of tea as yeah. well. And also there's a lot of people doing amazing sex education in, you know, in similar ways or in different ways. And I yeah. think it's about finding what suits you. So maybe I suit you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, you look towards my content, but mm-hmm. there's, you know, other great experts that that do it differently and they suit other people. Yeah. Talking about other experts, is there any other I think I know you got what you're going to say is your answer, but are there any other sexologists or people in the industry that you would look up to as like a mentor? Oh, I would love Esther Perel, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's the reason why yeah. I became a sexologist. Yeah. I would. She's my whole past. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I look up to a lot of different sexologists. Really, yeah. you know, I think Emily Nagowski is amazing. She wrote a lot about the science of um, desire for femmes. Uh, and, you know, orgasm. I think there's Sandra Patat. There is my mentor, Ingrid, who's just uh, amazing and really taught me so much. And then there's a lot of sex experts from, you know, Europe that were really kind and opened up to me. But I'm meeting more and more, you know, like, and I I think that's one thing that um, I need to be a little bit more consistent in when you're trying to start a business and keep it running and and keep it amazing, Mm. um, you tend to sometimes neglect the socialising aspects of that. And because of COVID as well, we didn't have opportunities to connect with other sex experts Mm -hmm. as much. So I'm really looking forward to meeting some more people to inspire me. Yeah. Are there any trends happening in the sex industry Mm. or can you forecast any trends that are happening in the sex industry? That's such a good question. really good question. I like that. (laughs) Sex tech, I think, is going to be huge. So that's like apps, that is platforms, you know, using AI to provide sexology consultations. Uh Um, It's ethical porn. uh, It's audio porn. It's different types of vibrators. Mm. Um, And it's, you know, I think there's also a trend of becoming a lot more inclusive as well, right? So of, of all genders, orientations and abilities because mm-hmm. I think in the past we've just been very vulva-like focus or penis-focused. Yeah. 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 I think even on TV shows I'm seeing it more mm. like I didn't know what oh, yeah. pegging was until oh, yeah. I watched a show on Stan. Have you watched Euphoria yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's like a good example. <laughs> um, I want to go back to your book as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and what mm. if we picked it up, what you would like us to get out of it when we finish reading it. Yeah, I'll have to give you both one on the way home and see if you like it. Yeah. Um, it's really just sex ed for adults. Okay. So because, for example, you've asked me a lot of questions today that we should have learnt at school. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I don't want anyone to feel like they – can't find that information or mm-hmm. they have to turn to Dr. Google or, oh you know, they yeah. just don't even want to talk about yeah. it because they feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this book um, really as kind of a foundation of sex ed for adults. So, mm-hmm. you know, people like us can look towards it and get the information that we need. It, you don't have to read it front to back. You can just skip to the sections that you like. 
it, co- it covers, you know, so much anatomy, gender, sexual orientation, how to have fun in the bedroom, sexual concerns, different toys, etc. Mm-hmm. all the things that we didn't learn about at school. Yeah. What are some toys that we should all have in our little sex toy kids? Oh, okay. Uh, so Chantal's got a little corner reaching. here. <laughs> a little corner here full of heaps of sex toys. Yeah. And can you talk about what were Chantal showed us some toys before and I was like, I don't even know what that is. What were the pussy pump. Pussy pump. pump. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pump for your pussy. Yeah. I mean, no, it's like it um it it is a pump basically. Yeah. So you're you're pulling the air out of the suction area and it's pulling your skin up into it. So if you use that over your pussy or your vulva, <laughs> yeah. it's literally sucking your vulva up into it and creating blood flow down there. So you don't have to have that. It's not a necessity in the bed. It's not a necessity for you. It's It was more of an experiment for me. But, yeah. you know, people like it in a kinky way. It might be able to help with clitoral orgasms. If we're bringing more blood down to that area, it is easier to orgasm and it can help with sensation as well. Mm-hmm. Do I recommend it often? No, not really, because I probably need to do a little bit more research yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of these toys, we have like, we call oh, yeah. it a clit sucker. Oh, yeah, clit yeah. Sucker. yeah. It's yeah. not actually sucking. It's just blowing air over yeah. the top of the clitoris. Um, everyone should have one of these. It's like a womanizer or, you know, Love Honey has one called a romp. And it's um, tiny. Like you can put it in your handbag. Mm. This is a good travel <laughs> one. Yeah, we have bigger ones as well that yeah. are in this uh, treasure trove. Um, I think a rabbit is also great. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't have a rabbit until last year. I don't have a rabbit. Yeah. And I think that's because I was like, oh, like it was just – talked about way, way too, too much. much. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably like the one that everyone would know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But this is, it was actually so fun. The first time I used it, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Where have you been all my I was life? like, I didn't yeah. use this years ago. Yeah. You know, um, this might be intimidating for a few people. The mm-hmm. one that I'm holding has mm-hmm. quite a thick kind Very of shaft. Thick. Yeah. Yeah. But this area moves up and down. The shaft moves up oh. and down. And then the bunny ears sit over the top of the clitoris. So you're having what we call a blended orgasm because mm-hmm. okay. you might be able to have um, like your G-spot area uh, stimulated by the shaft and then your clitoris uh-huh. stimulated by the rabbit ears. Double whammy. So, that, so there's two here that you guys listening can grab. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just think like a general bullet, um, a wand vibrator, for example, yeah. can simulate so many different areas mm-hmm. of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so for everyone listening, it kind of looks like a microphone. Yeah, I was going to say it yeah. looks like a microphone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, we can talk yeah. like this for the rest of the sessions. <laughs> but um, you can use this, you know, on the nipples. You can use it on the vulva, on the clitoris. You can use it on the underside of a penis. You mm-hmm. can use it around your anal area. It's just very versatile. Um, so, yeah. So that toy is not just specifically for women guys can get that as well yeah yeah the microphone one yeah because yeah. i can use a womanizer for example underneath the penis as well mm-hmm. um, yeah. or i can use it on like the nipples of a sexual partner uh-huh. it's getting mm. creative in the bedroom yeah 100%. yeah mm. think outside the box yeah and sorry going back to where can you purchase that from these from in australia love honey <laughs> australia yeah, cool. perfect <laughs> perfect um this might be a bit of a personal question but how often would you pleasure yourself and with your partner? It's not really a question I'm going to answer because yeah. what I say is not relevant to yeah. everyone else. Because if I say that, 
then, then other people will yeah, think yeah. that that's the norm and that's what they should be doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah it's true. irrelevant. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. True. But I have fun. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but so, I don't want to set a standard yeah. for anyone because my my um individual levels of of having sexual activity with myself or or my partner um is just my individual level. It's all that's relative. Not anyone else's. Like it, someone's could be once a month and that suits them and mm. their partner and someone mm. could be like five times a day and that's their yeah. partners. Mm. I think like, people forget as well there's obviously a lot of environment, like you could be stressed, you've got yeah. period, like mm. I know my period I'm much hornier than what I am when I'm not on my period. Mm. So everyone has different. That's something I did want to speak about, period mm. sex, because it was on maths recently. Oh, yeah, so yeah, it, was, it was brought up a topic of conversation in the media Okay, and well, I know I've personally had it. I don't. You're, know. If you're in a relationship, great. I can get it. <laughs> good for you. I feel like it's if great. You're in a relationship, everyone has. Yeah. Well, oh, I don't know if many people have. From what headlines and that it I really saw in the me media, out. I was just like, oh, like, was I doing something that's kind of taboo? Oh, if I, I, don't I don't know. Think so. I don't know. I just feel like is mm. period sex a um, standard practice for women? You think? Um, and is our sex drive higher at that time? Some people's are, some people's aren't. It depends mm-hmm. on how you, um, I guess, work with your hormones. Um, I think it's great if you are hornier because having an orgasm is also like a natural analgesic. It's like taking uh, ibuprofen or paracetamol. Right. I get period pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to help with that yeah. unless you're having things like endo, for example, okay. yeah. where you've got scar-like tissue inside. Um that can exacerbate the pain. Mm. Um, but, you know, I often pres- prescribe an orgasm if people are having migraines or if people are having, you know, pain, joint pain, et cetera, because it, it does help. Um, period sex, I think it is still considered taboo, to mm-hmm. be yeah, honest. I um, I think that if anyone wants to start doing that, why don't you start by, you know, self-pleasuring in the shower or having sex with your partner in the shower then you wash away all the evidence mm. um but you know if you're doing it in bed it's it's your bed mm. yeah. right put a towel underneath you if you don't want to get the sheets messy have some wet wipes nearby i think that the more we talk about it the more normalized it is mm. because it's pretty normal and yeah. it's healthy mm. and it's totally okay mm. i think it's i haven't been watching maths but i'm assuming yeah. that it was talked about in a controversial way and i think that that's sad. Mm. Whilst it's good that it brings up a topic in the media, I think, you know, if if we are kind of making it a stigma, then we're going backwards, not forwards, right? Yeah. What were some of the headlines? Um, well, I was about to Medicare and she was. Yeah, I remember has, the story, yeah. but I didn't know what the headlines were. I knew the Just media. Daily Mail stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm. Another thing that's been in the media recently is Courtney Kardashian was talking about her abstinence from orgasms. Oh, what was she? Yeah, her, she was going through an Ayurvedic cleanse and so she had to abstain from having <sighs> orgasms. And she said that that really helped her sex life and I was like I wondered why that may be that's interesting I mean I haven't read any of those articles but I really do think that I'm not saying that people have to do that I wonder if she was still pleasuring herself and coming to a climatic state so Mm -hmm. if you think about it uh, on a scale if 10 is the orgasm what you can do is build up your pleasure to maybe like a seven bring it down to a five. Oh. It's called edging. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a great um, hypnotic like audio session by a guy called Madison James who teaches you how to touch yourself 
an edge. Um, yeah. It goes for an hour. A lot of my friends are like, where was this guy in my life? Because I now know how to have a more fulfilling orgasm. So, you know, that edging process does build up arousal. It does build up pleasure and it allows you to really connect with your body mm-hmm. without rushing to the finish line, for mm-hmm. example, because I think a lot of the time we get into the bedroom and we're so goal-orientated on an orgasm that we forget about pleasure. And maybe for Courtney, this is a process of her focusing on her pleasure, not on the goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Do you have any other questions? I was just going to ask one for all the women out there. How, apart from the bedroom, what are some tips and tricks that they can build up the anticipation and pleasure before sex with their partner? Yeah, I think you have to make it a little bit of a ritual. And you Mm. don't, I mean, you don't have to just have sex in, in the bedroom, but you can start like, with flirting, mm-hmm. with sending text messages, with maybe sending a sexual photo, um, maybe it's wearing lingerie, maybe it's having a hot bath um, or a hot shower and putting essential oils on. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's it's self-pleasuring beforehand. Maybe it's listening to a, an audio porn or an orgasmic meditation. Maybe it's watching porn. Um, maybe it's just having a day to yourself where you're only focused on doing things for you, right? Mm. With the goal in mind of, you know, maybe tonight I'm going to have sex with myself or with someone else, Yeah. right? So you, it, it doesn't, sex should be somewhere that you go, not just something that you do, right? Yes. So you have to think about it from a more creative, like imaginative way. It's yeah. about eroticism. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. all, it's the, the grazes of the skin, you know, it's the, it's the looks to the side. It's touching of the knee, you know, it's even touching yourself and feeling like where do I feel pleasure on my body that's not just genital focused. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I just wanted to ask because I think we're wrapping up towards the end. That's why I asked, do you have any other questions in regards to that? I have question, a couple of more questions. Okay, let's re- just let Sarah do that then. <laughs> Tully and I both have nieces. I have one that's 16 who's starting to date and I want to start having more sex positive conversations with her mm. because I'm someone she turns to mm. but I I I honestly I don't know how to do it and I know probably a lot of our friends who have kids that are coming up it's my I know for my sister who has kids who are about to get their period she's like I'm dreading the day mm. so we're all, like how do we how do we go about conversations with the younger generation to mm. make it a better experience than what we had maybe mm. Mm. Well, you can buy my book. Um, <laughs> I'll just be like, here you go, read that, hun. No, I think it's, you know, you have to ch- you have to make sure that you feel confident in yeah. that first. And, you know, even if you don't, I think it it's about saying I have to open the conversation regardless. You know, I want them to feel like they can come to me. And if I don't know how to help them or if I don't have the information, then I can lead them towards someone who does. Maybe yeah. it's a different friend of mine. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it's a resource in the book and you can go through it together and discuss like that chapter or that paragraph with each other mm. about what you're learning and share experiences or share what you would have done differently mm-hmm. maybe in comparison to your past. Yeah. It is not an easy thing to mm. do. So don't um, beat yourself down because of that. Because at the end of the day, again, you weren't taught how to do that. Yeah. And um, I think the fact that you're even considering having those conversations with your nieces is a really positive thing and you should Mm. be very proud of yourselves. 
And even having this conversation, you should, should yeah. be very proud of yourselves because you're just trying to learn and expand your own minds, yeah. right, before you can help them expand yeah. theirs too. Yeah. Would your goal to have your book in all the high schools, because I was just thinking I would, mm. that is like the perfect tool I would have loved to have in high school. I would love it. Yeah. Of course, I would love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have teachers, psychologists, um, uh, doctors message me and say that it, that's really helped them oh, wow. develop, uh, I guess, a style of language because I'm very casual in the book. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it doesn't make it so formal yeah. and awkward, right? It's more conversational. Yeah. Like sitting down, having a chat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would be really yeah. cool, but I also, you know, I've got other things to focus on, yeah, so I'm not really say. pushing yeah. it right now. Well, I think it'd be amazing. Yeah. I just, and finally for me, I just wanted to touch on your pro bono work that you do mm. through your clinic mm-hmm. um you work a lot with people that have gone through traumatic experiences that mm-hmm. have revolved around sex can you talk about that a bit more yeah I mean I like to specialize in in trauma deep yeah. deep-seated trauma um I'm lucky that I can do pro bono work because yeah. I don't have to charge patients, but with my staff, I have to pay them still, yes. right? So my work I can do for free because I'm mm. happy to not get yeah. paid. Um, I think that with the pro bono stuff there, it, it starts with a patient usually that has saved up money to come see me. And I've seen from their intake email, because I look through every email that comes in through um, our clinic email address to allocate them to the right staff. Mm. I go, I don't know if one of my staff will be able to work on this one because it's quite complex or I don't know if this person has enough money to do ongoing sessions, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so usually it starts with maybe one or two sessions and then they start to drop out and I notice that they're not coming. So I just email them and say, why don't you come in and we can work on another form of, you know, compensation. Maybe that's them writing poetry. Maybe that's them doing art for me. So one of my pro bono patients, um, my office is filled with her art and it's really beautiful. Um, And I think for me it's, it's fulfilling because, if I was in that position, I would want someone to yeah. be there for me and to take care of me, especially mm. because a lot of these patients have never been taken care of and have been in and out of the system or in psychiatric wards, etc. So they need a gentle touch and a safe space to go. Gentle, that's amazing. Not a touch. Yeah. Not, I'm not touching. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, you know, yeah. you know what I yeah. mean. They just yeah. they, de- they need like a a gentle approach yeah and you're very approachable and I feel like they'd be very comfortable to talk to you as well that's amazing I didn't know that to that extent that's Mm. really cool yeah Yeah. I'm lucky I'm lucky to be able to work yeah they teach me a lot yeah Yeah. Mm. no that made my heart happy that was cute (laughs) do you want to wrap it up with the Instagram question yeah so um we just wanted to we have Conrad in the room at the moment um from the is the Australian is it the Australian Good weekend. Good weekend. Good weekend. weekend. Um, And one of the questions was, so um, we're obviously all on Instagram. We all use Instagram quite a lot and Mm. you do talk about, um, you know, sex and all that kind of stuff. Do you ever get shadow banned and how do we work around that with getting the content out there? So shadow banning is basically where it's very difficult for someone to find your content or your profile. And I get shadow banned all the time. Oh. I've had my Instagram deleted um, for like 10 days or something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, that's panicky because you go, oh, my God, like, will I be able to 
feed my staff. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, if I'm not getting patients coming in because they don't know where I am, that, that can affect everything. Yeah. So um, I have to be a lot more careful on Instagram than I used to be. I used to be a lot more erotic, I would say, mm-hmm. not myself, but the content I used to post and the, the images. Um, I have to change the word sex to like S and then euro sign mm-hmm. X or S-E-G-G-S, mm-hmm. sex, um, so that it's not picked up by the, I don't know, the Instagram algorithm. Yeah. Um, and I, look, I think it's just kind of perpetuating this this kind of stigma that sex isn't okay, and yeah, that, yeah. you know that that nipples aren't okay, and that um, you know the LGBTQIA plus community is not okay. And even like when I put up photos of those who are big or fat, mm. that they get reported and taken down as well. So I think that there's just a lot of censorship happening, uh-huh. um, and you just have to navigate your way around it. I don't think. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. No, I don't think it is. It's going to get harder. Yeah. Being so vocal on Instagram, do you get much criticism? Um, No, I'm actually really lucky because I'm not vocal about my opinions. I'm not putting my opinion out there. Um, I, you know, watch everyone make their own opinions of my content. Um, I put out facts like scientific research and, um, you know, I I guess uh, literature as well and, Mm. It's not about I think that anyone should be doing this. It's about here's some information, do what you want with it, right? But I don't talk about my opinions on there, so there's kind of less to criticise. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, I get dick pics in my DMs. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the only thing. And I'll I'll sometimes get criticism, but, you know, I think if you're not getting it, then maybe you're not out there enough, right? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. It used to. Um, more so when I would see my partner getting criticised for his work. I used to be, be a lot more vocal about mm. it, but I've just learned that there's keyboard warriors out yeah. there and you've just got to give them their time to to rant. Yeah, and just <laughs> don't rant back at them because it's no. not even worth it. No, yeah, exactly. So true. Finally, where can people find your clinic? Because I don't even know where it is, to be honest. It's, yeah, you can, you know, you can do an online session um, yep. or you can go to East Melbourne, which is, in Victoria, mm-hmm. um, and it's just either at www.aissm.com.au or chantalotten.com. Yeah, both exactly the same. They'll both make their way to my inbox. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. amazing. Well, thank you very much for this conversation. Yeah, we've had been a pleasure to have you on. So no, thank, thank you, you so much. You're both beautiful. Thanks so much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.